All right, come on, 1130, help me say hello to first-time guests as well as those who are watching online this morning. Come on, can you let them know we love them? Glad they're here. Thank you guys for showing up for church, making a good choice, being in God's house. And uh, keep coming to the 1130, all right? This is where you get any seat you want, all right? The 1130 service, you can choose your spot, all right? Uh, and um, in fact, we're going to try to get some people from the, the 10 to move to the 1130. That one's getting full again. So we got we to gotta beg and plead and bribe and get some people to, to move to this service. But um, glad that you're here. And those of you who are watching online, glad that you're joining us for church today. I'm excited to get into the message. Got a lot to tell you today. But first, I want to just remind you that this event is coming up. Meet the Leaders, August 29th at 1.30 p.m. That's a Sunday. It'll come pretty quickly after this service, the third service. Just a chance to eat lunch with myself, my wife, and all of our paid staff, and um, just get to know us a little bit. If you're new to the church and haven't really made a connection yet, and maybe you got questions, maybe you want to hear a little bit about our story, how we got to where we are and where we're headed next, we'd love to hang out with you. Have a nice meal, and there's child care and all that good stuff. This will fill up, so you have to sign up ahead of, t- ahead of time. TrueLife.Church forward slash meet the leaders. And uh, once it's full, it's full. We keep it small on purpose so we can make a relational connection with every person who's there. So make sure that you sign up ahead of time. And then uh, we are in 21 days of prayer right now. This is day eight. And I want to invite, if you haven't had a chance yet, to come join us for uh, corporate prayer. We gather together twice during the week, Wednesday at 7, Saturday at 10. We've got two rounds of each left. And um, I just want to commend our church. Uh, This is the highest level of participation in corporate prayer that we have ever had uh, in the history of our church. People are showing up, and so uh, really love you guys um, and so proud of you for doing that and being a part of that. All right, Uh, I'm going to preach a message today that is based on my really probably my favorite verse in the Bible uh, because it was a verse that became real to me. I don't know if you've had that happen to you yet. Uh, If you keep following Jesus long enough, if you keep reading the Bible long enough, you'll have moments where all of a sudden the Scripture comes to life and you're like, oh, that's, that's for me. That means something to me. And this happened to me when I was uh, about 15 years old. I, I read this passage of Scripture. In fact, I think I heard somebody preach on it first and then read it myself. And um, as, as soon as I read it, it felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me. Uh, you can do that, which I've titled the message today. Uh, you can do that. And um, I, I would love to tell you, like, hey, look at your neighbor, but some of you don't have a neighbor. So just everybody say it back. Just say, you can do that. You can do that. Uh, you can do that. And, uh, and so I've just titled the message, You Can Do That, because that was a, 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 just a phrase that meant a lot to me as a young person. It inspired some confidence in me as a young, kind of insecure teenager. Um, and I want to say to you, church, today, you can do that. And I know you don't know what that is yet, um, but I'm going to show you. And, and this is pr- probably still to this day my favorite passage in the Bible, because it's the first one I really like, took and acted on. And I think it still applies to us. I was at a, a roundtable this past week with a group of pastors, and it was kind of funny because our church will turn 10 in February, and I'm sitting at this, group of, at this table with this group of pastors, and they're all introducing themselves and telling their story. And um, so they're all like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm from this city, and we planted our church two years ago. And I'm so-and-so, and I'm from this city, and we planted our church a year ago. And I'm from this city, and we planted our church five years ago. And then they get to me, and I'm like, my name's Michael. I'm from Delaware and planted our church uh, nine and a half, almost 10 years ago. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I went, oh my gosh, I'm the old guy in the room now. Uh, that's never happened. That's the first time that that's happened. Uh, where, where, uh, but really, honestly, and I just kind of want to set the context for this this morning. Um, in, 
in the church, like the big picture of church history and, and really the big picture of American history, I'm sure you know this already, but like 10 years is nothing. Like it's just nothing. Uh, like we're, we're babies, right? Like we're just, I kind of think of the church like I think of kids, you know, when we, were, when we were two, we were learning to walk, like we could wobble around and bang our head on things. That's kind of how our church felt at that time. Um, you know, at some point you learn to tie your own shoes. Um, so coming up on 10 just means like we're getting sarcastic and we have an attitude, right? You know what I'm saying? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, really all that's, that's really all that's happening. But we're still young. So I think it applies to us as a church. This passage still applies to all of us. First Timothy 4.12, Paul writes, to Timothy, who's a young leader at the church in Ephesus. Paul was an apostolic missionary. He would travel to different cities. He would reach people for Jesus. He would plant a church there, and then he would move on to the next place and leave someone in leadership behind. And Timothy is one of his sons in the faith. And so he's writing these letters to Timothy and saying, hey, man, here's, here's how you lead this church. Here's how you lead people to Jesus. And he says, don't let anybody think less of you because you're young. And there's a reason he says that. We'll get to that in a second. He says, but I want you to be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in, in your love, your faith, and your purity. He gives, he gives him these five things. And I'm going to do something this morning that I rarely do. I'm not an expository preacher. I'm usually more of a topical preacher. Um, but I'm going to preach this expository. Expository just means you go through a scripture and you preach points out of that scripture. And so there's your points right there. One, two, three, four, five. We're going to go through those this morning in an expository fashion. Um, and it's still my favorite, favorite passage in the whole Bible. Um, it applied to me as a, as a student, as a young person. Um, we, we got a bunch of young people in our church right now who are just really excited about serving Jesus. A bunch of them came home from a conference a couple weeks ago just like believing they can change the world, which is exactly how you should feel when you come home from a conference. And I just want you to know you can change the world. You can change the world. You can make a difference in the world around you. Um, Y'all wanna hear something cool? Uh, last weekend, in our student ministry, um, like two-thirds of the students who showed up were first-time guests. 10 of them, 10, made decisions, made fresh commitments to Jesus in our student ministry gathering last Sunday night. Come on, is that not incredible? Isn't that amazing? 10! Ten students were like, I want to serve Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And, um, and so I love this because what I see Paul saying to Timothy here is, hey, Timothy, I don't need you to memorize the scriptures cover to cover. I don't need you to be the best theologian. I don't need you to be the best verbal communicator. I don't need you to be the best worship leader, guitar player, piano player, business person. I, like, Timothy, I just, if you want to be effective at leading people, leading the church, leading people to Jesus, just be an example in these five areas. And when I read that, that was when the Holy Spirit was like, at 15 years old, he said, you can do that. You can do that. And hey, True Life, you can do that. You can set an example for the believers in the way you talk, what you say, in the way you live, your love, your faith, and your purity. So now let's take that same passage uh, well, let me say this to you first, because I, I think this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Hey, I don't need you to try to do everything. I just need you to do what you can. And you can do these five things. So I want to take that same passage now and put it in a broader context. We're going to back up to verse 6 of the same chapter. 
And Paul says to Timothy, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished. I just want you to take note that Paul says, hey, Timothy, if you want to feel fed, be a worthy servant of Jesus. It's not about finding your flavor of teaching, preaching. It's not somebody else's responsibility to make you feel nourished. It's your responsibility to get nourished. Come on, say amen, somebody. All right. One who's nourished by the message of faith and good teaching you have followed. Um, I, I, I just thought this passage might apply to the, our current society. Do not waste time arguing over vaccines, masks, politics, COVID. Oh, wait, no, that's not, that's not what that says. My bad. My bad. <laughs> I know none of you have experienced any of that, but I figure we just throw it in there just in case. Don't, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train who? Yourself. So Paul said, hey, Timothy, if you want to get this right, start by worrying about yourself. I think we live in a society that specializes in worrying about everybody but yourself. Come on. He says, worry about yourself. Train yourself to be godly. I really only left this passage in because I don't need it to preach the message, but it made me feel better about myself. He says, physical training is good. It's good. You can have washboard abs. But training for godliness is much better. Come on, y'all. I'm going to have my donut and do my devotion, right? Paul says, I can. He says, I can. <laughs> Promising benefits in this life and the life to come, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Come on, say amen if you're with me this morning. <laughs> this is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God. Not in our circumstances, not in our world, not in our country, not in our society. Our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, in particular of all believers. Teach these things, and everybody say the next word. Insist. Isn't that strong language? Isn't that strong Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, I want you to pastor that church at Ephesus, and I want you to just kind of, I want you to suggest a few things, encourage a few things. He says, Timothy, there's some stuff you're going to have to insist on. Insist that everyone learn them, and then he says, don't let anybody think less of you because you're young. Why did he say that? Because Paul knew, Timothy, if you insist on these things, there might be a little pushback. Might be a little pressure. In fact, they might say to you, Timothy, you're young. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't, you don't have the authority. And Paul says, don't, you just keep setting an example in your speech, your life, your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, he says, focus on reading the scripture to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you, which I just want to say to you, true life, you have a spiritual gift. All of us do. You, you probably have more than one. And our, I think part of our job as a church is to create a path for you to make sure you don't neglect it. It's, it's, like even LifeTrack. LifeTrack is not a process for us to find out if you're worthy of our church. It's actually the opposite. It's a process to you to find, for you to find out if our church is worthy of you, really, and decide if you should be a part of our, our spiritual family. And, the, and the, the whole process after deciding, yes, this is my spiritual family, is about helping you make sure you don't neglect your gift and you find a place to use it. The, the prophets, the elders, they laid hands on you. 
They, they prophesied this gift over you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live. Again, he's saying, Timothy, worry about yourself first and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation. Watch this. And, Timothy, you've got to set an example in these areas because it's, the, it's not just your church. It's not just the believers who are paying attention. It's the salvation of those around you, those who hear you. Come on, how many know that the world is watching us right now? The world is listening. And true life, I don't need you to know the Bible cover to cover. That'd be great if you can do it. I can't. I can't memorize it cover to cover. I'm not that smart. I don't, I don't need you to be the most talented at everything. God's not asking us for that, but he, I think he is saying, hey, true life, you know what you can do? You can set an example in these areas. Speech, life, love, faith, purity. And he used that language. Timothy, insist. Insist on this. So if you'll allow me today, I want to be pretty direct for a second. I want to ask you to let me be your pastor for a second. Let me lead you with some pretty direct, in fact, I'm going to borrow the language Paul gave to Timothy. Just as lead pastor of our church, I understand, not out of arrogance, there are just some things I can say that nobody else can say. And so I just need to, I need to leverage my platform this morning just to say to you, hey church, I don't want to just preach a good message today. I'm calling you to something and I insist. As a spiritual family, I insist that we will do what we can I'm not, I'm, not call, I'm not calling anybody to perfection. I'm certainly not calling anyone to empty religion. But I am saying, hey, you know what? We gotta make sure in the world we live in, in the society we live in today, we do what we can to live as examples. Are you with me this morning? Like I insist. And I want you to insist. And I want the spirit of God to rise up inside of us today and, and, and confirm it and encourage us. And I want us to walk out of here today going, I can do that. I can do that. I can work on that. I can, I can work on being an example in these five areas. So let's talk about them. I mean, what was the first one? He says, I want you to work on the stuff that you're saying in how we speak. Be an example in how we speak. Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 20 says, wise words satisfy like a trip to Woody's Crab House. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. Like Ruth Chris. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. Here's a great litmus test for the words that come out of our mouths. Before you say it, before you type it, actually, nobody types like this anymore, do they? Before you type it, <laughs> before you dictate it, who am I trying to satisfy? with what I'm about to say. And if it's just for me, if it's just to make me feel better about the echo chamber I'm hanging out in, come on, y'all. Probably doesn't need to be. Let me help all the married people right now when you feel the tension rising and you know you're on the verge of a fight. Come on, come on let's be honest. Married people fight. It's actually healthy. All right if you know how to fight the right way. Some of you fought this morning. There's probably some people who didn't even make it to church this morning. They're probably pulled over on the side of the road. There's blood, in, blood inside the car. and there are... 
Here's what I've, here's what I've learned. When you feel the tension rising, I just, you just got to learn to ask yourself, does this need to be said? And then you've got to follow it up with another one. Because you might say, yes, this needs to be said. Here's the next one. Does it need to be said right now? Probably doesn't, right? Not unless you won't get punched in the face, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, probably doesn't. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. So I was, I was at this round table this week, and uh, there's only three guys in the room who I already knew. So there's like 10 new pastors that I got to meet and make friends with, which was really fun for me. I love being a, a part of things like that. And um, I just, I, I, they hooked us up. It was a missions partner that, that we, we already support, you guys as a church support. And so it was an opportunity for us just to learn together and uh, try to, I, I was there honestly to encourage some other pastors and leaders to go ahead and support that same missions partner and kind of just say like, hey, this has been a win for our church and if you don't have a mission strategy, this is a good strategy uh, for you. And so I had a great time being there. Um, but I, so I'm meeting pastors, right? We're, we're all in this room, this kind of conference room at a hotel and, and meeting people, getting to know each other. And, and so guys are coming in and they're all doing the, hey, where are you from? Well, I'm from so-and-so. And um, I met this guy named Johnny, Pastor Johnny from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, have you ever had somebody just instantly kind of make an impact on your life? You, you, know, what that, you know what that's like when that happens? Um, you, you ever met somebody who can, like, just with their words and their demeanor, they can just lift the room? Like, they can just lift the room. And there's some people who can sink the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's both. But just, just lift the room. Johnny was a lift the room guy. He is a lift the room. First of all, I was super intimidated because he walked in wearing really cool Jordans and had some of the coolest hair I've ever seen. So I'm all like, whoa, you're like one of those super cool hipster pastor guys. Like, I'm kind of intimidated a little bit at first. Uh, John, so Johnny's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So he walks in. I'm like, hey, man, I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. Uh, What's your name? He's like, I'm Johnny. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Where are you from? He's like, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's awesome. And then he flipped it on me because I'm just like, oh, that's so cool, man. He flipped it on me. He's like, he's like, okay, and your name's Michael? I'm like, yeah. He's like, and where are you from? I was like, well, I, we planted a church in, in Delaware. And he goes, Delaware? For real? That's so awesome. You pastor a church in Delaware. And I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, that's amazing. I can't imagine how awesome it is to pastor in Delaware. I'm like, yeah, we have three counties. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, like he had me, just a 30 second conversation. He's got me all fired up again about where I live and the church that I, that I get to pastor. And I'm like, yeah, New York City's close, Philly's close, the beaches, we got mountains, Baltimore, D.C. It's a fantastic place to live. He's like, I'm so, he's so excited about Delaware in 30 seconds, I start worrying that he wants my job. I'm like, bro, I'm not, it's not available. You need to get excited about Tulsa. That's where you're from. <laughs> like, I'm worried. And I just, I love, you know what it is? Johnny's just, he's just life-giving. He just knows, he just, and I just, we got done with our, our introduction, and I walked away for a second thinking, like, if Johnny talks to everybody like that, there are going to be like a million people. All of Tulsa, Oklahoma is getting saved. They're all going to come to Jesus. Because I was just like, forget the round table. I want to go back to Delaware. He's got me so fired up about Delaware. Now, a few seconds later, I'm meeting somebody else, and I overhear from across the room, where are you from? Minneapolis. Minneapolis! Now I'm mad. I'm like, you're cheating on Delaware, Johnny. 
<laughs> Watch, it goes on. The tongue can bring death or, come on, say it. The tongue can bring death or life. And those who love to talk will reap its consequences. I always read that as like, don't talk so much. Be careful, don't be such a talker. That's not what this is saying. It's fine to love to, I love to talk. That's actually part of the gift on my life. That's why I get to stand up here and do this. Talking's fine. Talking's not the issue. Is which words are you using? Death words or life words? And whichever words you choose, there's consequence associated with that. Man, what would happen if we would walk out of here speaking life into our kids, speaking life into our workplace, speaking life into our friends and our family? Come on, somebody, speaking life into our spouse. And so I insist, I insist, true life, that we set an example for the world around us and just be people who choose to speak, everybody say it, speak life. Tracking so far? Like, I, I insist, let's speak life. And then Paul says, Timothy, you also got to set an example in how you live, in how you live. Well, how, how do we do that, Paul? He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. I got to hang out two weeks ago with a group of leaders from our church, and we heard from um, Dr. John Maxwell, who I've had the privilege of reading his books throughout the years and hearing him speak live in person a few times, I, I really think my generation of leader, even just through his books and, and hearing him speak without personal relationship, we're all kind of his sons in leadership. He's been incredibly influential. And that's kind of how he spoke to us at this conference. He said, I, I, I'm going to use a father voice with you. And he said, I'm just really concerned at how believers have responded to the chaos of our society. Y'all know chaos isn't new, right? Anybody remember, anybody here old enough to remember going from 1999 to 2000? What was that? What did they call it? Y2K, Y2K, right? Remember, everybody's freaking out. The world's gonna end. I remember we spent, I don't, just gazillions of dollars getting all of our computers Y2K certified. Well, I don't even know why we did that. Computers are obsolete every 12 months anyway but we got them all certified, right? Just gazillions of dollars. And I, I wanna encourage you, if you've never done it, go look at the last 20, 21 years. You know what you'll find? Go, let's just go look at the history of the last 20, 21 years. Go look at the news headlines. You'll find chaos, followed by chaos, followed by chaos, 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 chaos. I'm not gonna say it 21 times, but you get the picture. By the way, it's not even the last 20 years. Go look at the last 100. Go look at the last 1,000. It's one of the things I hate about this pandemic right now is we keep using words like unprecedented. It's unprecedented. No, it's not. Chaos is not unprecedented. It's been going on forever. Even the kind of chaos is not that unprecedented. It's been going on forever. And I am concerned, church, that when it comes to setting an example in how we live, that that's very difficult right now because we just stopped living. Believers have become 
so frozen in the fear that our society is peddling. And I'm all for being wise and safe and talk to your doctor and decide about vaccine. This is not a political statement at all. Although some will twist it into that because it's just the lens you see everything through. I'm just saying there is a life God has called us to live And if we're not careful, while the rest of the world is frozen and petrified in fear, we will miss the opportunity. I heard John Maxwell say this. He said, I'm so worried that we've missed the window, the opportunity where, he said, some of the business leaders I talk to, I can just tell they're so scared. They don't know what's going to happen. And he said, it's just such a beautiful beautiful opportunity because I've just said to them, "Oh, oh, how I wish you had my faith. And they say, what do you mean? So I just, my faith, I, I just, I have a relationship with Jesus, and even though I don't like all this craziness, there's just, I've got something on the inside of me because I know Jesus, and I know all of this is going to be okay, and one day I'll live forever with him. I just, I wish you had my faith. Isn't that beautiful? And of course, we were all sitting there going, dang it, why didn't I think of that, you know? <laughs> but the, chaos is an opportunity to display the hope we have. And Paul says, be wise in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand the, what the Lord wants you to do. And I, and I decided to use a quote that, that Dr. John also used with us that day. Back in 1948, author and theologian uh, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called The Atomic Age. Maybe you've seen this. In fact, the Delaware Business Journal printed this essay back in May of last year. And people were asking C.S. Lewis, hey, how do we respond to the atomic bomb? That was creating the chaos in 1948. And everybody's worried. Are we going to die? Are they going to blow us up next? What are we going to do? And what I'd like you to do today is, 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 as I kind of just read through this story from C.S., this essay that C.S. Lewis wrote, I want you to take whatever your chaos is, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's the pandemic, maybe it's something else, whatever your chaos is, whatever's creating fear in your life and keeping you from living the life God has called you to, I want you to replace the atomic bomb with your chaos and just... Just see if this doesn't help you see life a little more clearly, all right? He said, uh, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? He said, I'm tempted to reply, why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night. Come on, are you feeling encouraged yet this morning? Can I just speak a pre- prophetic word over you? Something I, I, can, I just see coming in all of your future. You ready? You're going to die. I'm your pastor and I'm here to encourage you. Come on. You're, either you're going to die or Jesus is going to come back. And I'm concerned that we've spent so much time trying to protect a life that we're going to lose anyway that we've missed opportunities to tell people about the life they could have forever. You tracking with me this morning? Or, in, or indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, watch this, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. We do that, don't we? We're like, oh, this is different. No, no, it's not. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. 
It's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. You see it? If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. Boy, doesn't he sound prophetic now. But they need not dominate our minds. Come on, somebody need to hear that this morning. He goes on, what the atomic, what the atomic, what the atomic bomb has really done is to remind us forcibly of the sort of world we're living in and which during the prosperous period before we were beginning to forget. And this reminder is, so far as it goes, a good thing. We've been waked from a pretty dream. Now we can begin to talk about realities. I skipped some paragraphs for the sake of time. He says, for it is part of our spiritual law never to put survival first. Not even the survival of our species. We must resolutely train ourselves to feel that the survival of man on this earth, much more of our own nation or culture or class, is not worth having unless it can be had by honorable and merciful means. Nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs. Those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all likely to be preserved. Those who want heaven most have served earth best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. It's almost like Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever will lose their life for my sake will keep it. So I thought, how do we set an example in the way we live in this current context that we all find ourselves in? And I felt like the Holy Spirit just gave me two sentences. First, you want to set an example for the rest of the world? Go live. Go live. Go do what God has asked you to do. You want to take it up a notch? Don't just live. Go live a spirit-filled life. Figure out what it is you're called to. Find the supernatural anointing that God has for your life. And go be obedient to it. Don't be afraid. Go live the spirit-filled life that you've been called to live. Come on, say amen if you're with me this morning. Come on, I insist, true life, we're going to set an example in our words. And we're going to go live spirit-filled lives. So that... While our world is increasingly growing addicted to fear, we can say, hey, I, I have the antidote for that. Wouldn't you rather have freedom? Wouldn't you rather have hope? Wouldn't you rather have peace? Can I just tell you about my faith? Love that. We set an example in our speech, in our life, and he says, I need you to set an example in how you love. 
Jesus said, to, to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. I hate that passage. Come on. Has anybody ever thought that's easy? Has everybody ever read that and been like, oh, piece of cake. Thank you, Jesus. Made that so simple. Oh, my. Do I? Really? Like, can my spiritual gift be punching? Is that a possible? No? All right. No, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do what? Good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And then pray for those who hurt you. I've been hurt. You've been hurt? That's hard. But you want to set an example? You want to be different? Jesus said, this, this is what you got to do. 2 Timothy 2.23, it's the second letter to Timothy, and he says it again. So this is Paul saying, like, I really need you to get this, Timothy. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Stop it. Get off social. Just stop. Just stop. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with what kind of people? Difficult. Which, as your pastor, I just want to lovingly say is some of y'all. You got issues. Come on, we all got issues. And if you don't think you have any issues, that's your issue. Come on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus said, if you love everybody who loves you, what reward is there for that? Oh, I love, I love all them Republicans because I'm Republican. Jesus says, big deal. Love a Democrat. Democrats be like, I love all my Democrats, but I hate them Republicans. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. That's not how this works. You don't get a reward for that. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. So Jesus basically says, all them guys you hate, all the bad guys, they even know to love each other. They get together and they love each other's badness. Jesus says, that's not special. That doesn't make you special. He said, if you want to do it different, if you want to set an example that makes the world take notice, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? You're not. Even pagans do that. And wouldn't you agree that society is just mean right now? Just mean. Like, if you don't agree with me, I'll just do everything I can to make sure you never have a voice and nobody hears from you ever again. It's disgusting. It's terrible. That's why I quit using social media. I figure I'll just cancel myself. I'm bound to offend somebody at some point anyway. I'm kind of a loose cannon. So I'll just quit. Who canceled you, Michael? Me. I cancel cultured myself. <laughs> Society's mean, and here's what bothers me. Here's what I'm concerned about. Believers are participating in the meanness. What are we doing? Like I just gave you three scriptures. There's a ton more that say, Basically, like, hey, knock it off. Just go love people. Just go serve people. So, so how do we set an example in our love? I would encourage you just 
work really hard at loving the unlovable people in your life. Because if you can do that, you'll be able to love everybody else on up the scale. Just go to the ones that are the most difficult for you and figure out how to love them. And you'll be able to love everybody else just fine. Come on, say amen. Find the difficult people and love them. What if I'm married to them? <laughs> love them. <laughs> love them. Set an example in our love. He says, and I need you to set an example in your faith, how you demonstrate your faith. And let me just give you a quick refresh. I gotta hurry, we got six minutes left. Let me, let me give you a quick refresh on how we demonstrate our faith. And I, I, I've taught this to you before, so I'm just gonna give you the quick version. There are four levels to faith. I'm actually teach you a little theology, like the 30-second version right now. Faith begins by believing God is, he exists. We're tracking? He's real. The next step is to believe that God can, like he can do stuff. He can work miracles, he can get involved in my life. He's supernatural and he's active today. The next step is to believe that he will do all that. Come on, there's a difference between he can and I believe he will. But the highest level of your faith is to say even if he doesn't, I'll still trust him. God is, God can, God will. But even if he doesn't, I will trust him. Let me show it to you in scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you grew up going to church, you know this story, but <clears throat> these guys are in the Old Testament of your Bible, and they're living under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's rule, and they build a, a statue in honor of King Nebuchadnezzar. And everybody has to come bow down to the statue and worship this image of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, you know, if, you have, if you're following God, you don't bow down to anything but God. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's the first commandment. You will not have any other gods before me, and, and, and then you're not going to bow down to any idols. Like, it's, it's pretty right up front in the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, mm-mm. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, guys, if you don't bow down to my statue, they're going to throw you in a furnace, and you're going to burn to death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. They're, they're actually very respectful. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm, I'm so sorry, but we, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, he exists, God is, that's the first level of faith, whom we serve is able, God can, to save us. And he will, God is, God can, God will, rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, it's the fourth level we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I, I, I just love that. Because I think we live in a world where it's increasingly easy to pull back from faithfulness. And I want to say to you, church, you can do this. You can stay faithful. You can stay faithful. Keep engaging. Keep being a part of a spiritual family. Keep loving your family at home. Stay faithful. If you serve on Dream Team, keep showing up. If you're in a small group, keep building relationship. Come on, y'all. Stay faithful. Because God sees it. And he is able to get involved in your life. And he will. But even if he doesn't, do it anyway. Come on, say amen.
I felt like God gave me this this week. God, uh, faith, <clears throat> faith is so important to our spiritual development. And I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit kind of whispered this to me. It isn't the existence of my need that motivates heaven. Like God knows your needs and he does care about them. But I think something special happens when we come to God in faith. It's the existence of my faith, I think, that makes heaven sit up and be like, oh, look at that. Like, their situation's terrible, but they're, they're, he's trusting God. She's trusting God. That's so cool. I think heaven gets fired up. So, so how, how do we set an example in our faith? I would just say, man, just stay faithful. Stay faithful. Faithful. Faith doesn't mean you can pray loud prayers and say spiritual things. Faith actually means you keep showing up. You keep re-engaging with the things of God. Even if you're not getting the results you're hoping for the first try. Stay faithful. Can I get an amen? And here's the last one. And I just want to warn you right now, I'm going to read some passages of Scripture that are going to make us a little bit uncomfortable. All right? But I also want to be very clear, I didn't write them. It's just the Bible. We all good? All right, cool. Stay faithful. Here's the last one. He says, I need you to set an example in your purity. In your purity. Man, this is, I think purity is under assault in our society. Like, we, we have people who believe that morality doesn't even exist, much less have the ability to define what it is. So it's just kind of this thing that's now open for interpretation. And, and guys, it's not. Like the Bible's super clear on a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. And I think God is, is saying to his church like, hey, be holy. Be pure. No, it's not always going to be popular. But purity matters. Purity matters. And uh, uh, Psalm 119.11 says, How? <laughs> have you ever felt that way? God, how? Have you been on the internet? How am I supposed to be pure? How? How does a young person stay pure? Real simple. I got to get in the Word. I got to know what the Bible says. Can I get an amen this morning? Come on, y'all. We're almost done. Don't, don't, don't check out on me now. He said, I've tried hard to find you. Please don't let me wander, God, from your commands. I have hidden your word where? In my heart that I might not sin against you. And man, there's all kinds out there. And I, I wanna, I'm gonna share 1 Corinthians 6.18, not so much because it talks about sexual sin, but because of that word right there. Come on, everybody say it. Run. You know what it means like to pursue purity? It means to run from sin. That's a great place for like a super shouty Pentecostal amen right there. I'm just gonna rewind. I'm gonna say this again, all right? You want to know a great strategy for pursuing purity is just to run away from sin. Yeah, amen. Like you can't even read that like run from sex. No, it's like run, run. Like Godzilla's coming. Run, run. How do you know I should do that, Michael? Because I didn't. I've got consequences. I know it's better to run. 
And there's no shame now. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. Come on, can I hear an amen? But it's better to run. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. And some of you, like, you, didn't even, you weren't even the one that per- perpetuated the sin. Somebody perpetuated it against you, and you're still feeling the consequences of something that you didn't even have the power to make the choice. And I'm so sorry. That's awful. But I want you to know God can give you your purity back. In your heart, he can give it back to you. Come on. He can get you back where you were supposed to be. He can get you back on track. It's, it's, it's an, it, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't we realize, says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. Y'all realize that? This is not mine. It's God's. In fact, he bought it with a high price, his son Jesus. So you must honor God with your body. Romans 13, 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for who? All to see. Don't, everybody say the next word. Participate. Y'all know what the word don't means in the Greek, right? It means don't. It just means don't. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy instead. Which, by the way, sometimes when we read passages like this, everybody just feels condemnation and judgment. That's not what this is. Paul's just saying, hey, look, that's an option, and God will love you if you choose that option. But really, if you want to live the life God has called you to, instead of that, choose to clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil, that's what, which is what we do. We sit around going, well, can I justify this? Can I rationalize? This will be the last time. I'll just do this one more time. And then what happens? You're right back where you started. That's why I stole a quote from the Motion Student Conference that all our kids were at because I thought this was so beautiful and all of us need to hear it. Here's the deal with choosing to be pure and holy. The right motions produce the best emotions. Come on, isn't that good? You're like, oh, I'm just not feeling it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But you've been living this way for 10 years. So you can't make two good choices and expect all the emotions. You're going to have to stay consistent. You're going to have to stay faithful. You're going to have to trust God. Keep doing what he's called you to. Keep pursuing purity. And I'm just telling you, I promise you, you stay in that lane long enough, the right emotions produce the best emotions. I've always said it this way. Choices lead feelings follow. So how am I going to set an example in this area of purity? I'm I'm just, true life, I insist. Let's be people who run from sin and run to Jesus. Come on, y'all. Let's run to Jesus. Let's run to Jesus. I debated whether or not to share this next passage. There are actually places in the world where you can't read this next passage of scripture in public. You'll go to jail, including our neighbors to the north. But if there's any society in the Bible that I think parallels at all Western society today, I think it might be the Roman Empire. 
And Paul writes to the church at Rome. And this is a passage that often is misused by believers. It's used to be judgmental and mean. And so those of, some of you are going to get triggered when I read it, and I want you just to wait. Just trust me and wait till the end. But what Paul essentially is doing is he says to the church in Rome, hey, y'all, here's the world you live in. This is it. Like, I think if Paul could talk to us today and say, hey, guys, I need you to be an example in these areas because here's the world you live in. And he just gives a picture of what it looks like. I think it's pretty applicable to today. He said, hey, this world you live in is going to have people who are some wicked people who they actually try to suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. That, by the way, and I'm working on some stuff right now that I'm going to bring out in a series at some point in the next couple of years. That's secular humanism, which puts my emotional, it puts me resolving my own emotions at the pinnacle of everything. And so God has to fit under that. And I just need you to know that's a form of idolatry. That's you serving yourself. Y'all tracking? It's got, it's got to be the other way around, or the, or the whole thing collapses. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claimed to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. The, the, Hey, this, I, this, I just want to follow my heart. Doesn't God want me happy? No, he wants you holy. Do not follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Follow God. Come on, say amen, everybody. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who's worthy of eternal praise, amen. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. And then Paul, Paul just, he's just listing off the world that, that they're living in. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, any of that in our society. Hate, any of that in our society. Envy, any of that. Murder, it's up. Quarreling, it's up. Deception, it's up. Malicious behavior and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. Like, I don't even know how you do that. Like, I got a new idea, guys. Nobody's done this one yet. And they disobey their parents. Come on, mom and dad, I threw that one in there just for you. Come on. 
They refuse to understand. Which I actually find heartbreaking when somebody just refuses to understand. Break their promises, they're heartless and they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And a lot of people use that passage as a platform to say, look how bad everybody is. Sinners. We're right. We're Christians. To which I would just say, really? Because the very next set of verses Paul, Paul, Paul basically says to the Roman church, hey, y'all judging everybody? And you ain't no different than any of them. That's what he says. He says, in fact, y'all are doing a lot of the same stuff. Why do you think there's something special about you? In fact, he says you're taking advantage of God's kindness. God's kindness isn't there to be taken advantage of. It's there to draw us to repentance. To have relationship in other words, Paul says, hey, this is your world. You want to you have an impact on your world? Start by worrying about yourself. And, and then maybe just, hey, Timothy, if you could be an example in these five areas, it'll go a long way. In fact, you don't even need to spend any time pointing out everybody else's mess. You just work on you. In speech, in life, in love, and faith, and in purity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Because true life, I think you can do that. You can do that. You can speak life. You can love the difficult to love. You can stay faithful. You can run to Jesus instead of running to sin. You, you can do it. I know you can. And I insist that we all try. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I think I might be one of those inventing new sin people. Like, I'm just a mess. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And I don't have Jesus in my life. In fact, maybe you've even been around someone who's speaking life into you or living the spirit-filled life God's called them to. They're, they're loving you when you've been hard to love. They're staying faithful when nobody else is. They're pursuing purity when nobody else is. And maybe it's, maybe it's left an impact on you, and you're thinking, I, whatever they have, I need it. And can I tell you that thing they have is Jesus. It's Jesus, and you do need him. And I can't think of a better time than right now for you to give your life to him. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's where you're at, would you just say, hey, Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Change me. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I've been living life my own way without you. From this day on, my life is yours. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And three days later, you rose from the dead and broke the curse of sin off my life. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. In fact, I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but stand to your feet if you would all across the room. And I just want to ask you a question. Could, could you go there? Could you go there on the whole, like, be an example in those five areas? Speech, life, love, faith. I just would love it if we'd all make a fresh commitment to that today and leave with the Spirit of God inside of us saying, you can do that. You can do that. So heads bowed, eyes closed, because I want it to be personal, but I want you to have a moment to respond. If you'd say, hey, Michael, I'm in. I will do that. Speech, life, love, faith, purity. I'm in. Would you just, just raise your hand? Just wave your hand at me. Yep, all across the room. Thank you so much. Proud of you. Heavenly Father, you saw the hands. More importantly, you see our hearts. You know exactly what's going on. And you know, if there's one of those five areas we're struggling, you've already put your finger on it today. And Lord, I speak life into this room right now. We can do this. We can, we can live lives that cause the whole world to kind of look at us and say, well, wait, wait, what, what is that? What do you have? And I thank you, God, that we're going to be able to do that. You've empowered us by your spirit to speak words of life. To go live spirit-filled lives. We, we don't have to be gripped by the fear of chaos. Whether it's the chaos we're in right now or the next round of it that's coming. We're going to go live the life you've called us to. We're going to go find people who are hard to love. And we're going to give them the most love we can muster. We're going to stay faithful even when it's hard. And we're gonna run from sin and run to you. And I thank you that you're gonna use that, God. You're gonna use it to reach people who are far from you. Use your church. We thank you for the honor and the privilege of being a part of your master plan to change the world. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen, amen.